Storytelling saves the world. Storytelling saves the world. With Jessica and Georgia and all their friends, you never know how the story's gonna end. But storytelling saves the world. Storytelling saves the world. Welcome to the inaugural episode of Digital Storytelling Saves the World a podcast where you can find out more about integrating student movie making into your classroom. I'm one of your hosts, Jessica Pack, and I'm here with my fabulous co-host, Georgia Terlahi. Hey, Jessica. Thanks for letting me come hang out today and have a laugh. We are so excited to bring you this podcast because between the two of us, we have something like 25 years of experience. Uh, combined, that's a little bit of a scary number. It, it really is to say out loud. I mean, we probably shouldn't share that with like too many other people. Maybe no, just here. Just here, and <laughs> they get to know we started when we were five. Yes, we did. We did. <laughs> we were very advanced. <laughs> so with all that experience, um, we've had some successes. I'd say we've had more than our share of failures, and that's kind of what we want to be able to share with all of you. So as teachers, we can sometimes be islands unto ourselves, and it can be kind of tough to take risks or try new things, because there often isn't really that ongoing support piece that we would wish for. So our goal is to share our collective experience with you, all so that you might feel emboldened to start your digital journey, or to continue your journey. If integrating student movie projects is already something you've attempted, great. Then hopefully you'll pick up some tips and tricks that make your life a little easier. If you're a total newbie, that's cool too. We'll give you some solid advice to help you get underway. Think of us as your digital storytelling Sherpas. Now that is a career aspiration, is it not? To be a guest. <laughs> I'm going to have to work on climbing in altitude, but okay. So let's get down to establishing some serious street cred. Uh, Georgia, do you want to take the lead on that? All right, and I'll try to be short because I do have like 5,000 years of experience. So about 11 years ago, I went to a Saturday class that it wasn't even Digicom then. It was David Vogel, who had retired out here. And he was doing a class on um, iMovie that I went to on a Saturday because I wanted to figure out how it worked. And then Digicom kind of was formed and some classes were offered and I went to some classes. And then I finally figured out, um, oops, I really should do something with this. <laughs> so I wrote a Donors Choose grant to get equipment and I had no idea what I was asking for. I just asked for a bunch of stuff. And I was funded in 24 hours, got all the equipment within like two days of writing the grant. And then I was like, oh, what do I do with it now? So like a teacher, good teacher, I took it to my class. I said, look at all the stuff we have. What do you want to do? And so they decided, we all brainstormed together. They wanted to do a kind of like a news magazine. They came up with the name themselves. And we just sort of started. It wasn't perfect. It was kind of ugly sometimes. But we kept working on the practice of it. And by doing that, the school started viewing our news program. And other teachers would give us stories and video stuff. And more and more teachers in my elementary school started doing video projects that we actually started our own film festival. And it kind of went from there. So it was because of all the Digicom support and then these fabulous kids I had that were willing to just try something without ha ever having done it before that really transformed the way I taught in my classroom. So I was able to take that news project and put it into curriculum and then had them creating, you know, uh, movies on science curriculum, you know, kind of like a capstone piece if we were studying um, food webs, you know, they could explain a food web to the camera, had them do explain math problems 
to the camera so that they could help each other in this learning journey. And I've just, um, I've just fell in love with digital storytelling and believe it's one of the most powerful tools I've ever experienced in the classroom. From your school's story, it's really impacted the school as a community, right? It really, it has because we, as you had talked in the beginning, like we teachers end up being kind of siloed. Like we're by ourselves, we do our own thing, we may see each other, but we don't really know what's going on in each other's classrooms. By sharing all these videos on a biweekly basis we were able to see the cool things going on in a different grade level. We worked together. We would collaborate great grade levels with, hey, can we do this? Can we do that? And it just opened up the school to be this whole community of learners that really wasn't there before. I love that it has a global impact wherever you're at when you start integrating digital storytelling, and it's not something that really limits it if its effect to the four walls of your classroom. So in that way, I think it can be a really transcendent thing. So I'm super Absolutely. excited to be able to have this podcast with you, Georgia, and be able to share all that with everybody. Awesome. So what about you, Jessica? You've had a fabulous journey yourself. Um, yeah, I have been teaching for 15 years, so I feel like that's a nice round number now. Like, I can say that to people, and they might take me seriously. <laughs> oh. <laughs> it's funny. So. I didn't feel that way till 30 years in, but... <laughs> well, not- like, here's hoping, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, so, um, probably 14 years ago, I piloted the first one-to-one MacBook program, and I was one of two middle school teachers doing that at the time. So, our district was forward-thinking with the tech, but they really didn't know how that worked with like actual instruction other than word processing right so um, my kids were exploring the macbooks as what else can we do with this and i just remember teaching a lesson on plot diagram and one of my kiddos found the little like iMovie star and opened it up and was like mrs beck i think we can make movies with this and like we just completely dropped the whole lesson i don't even know if they walked away that year understanding what exposition and resolution were to be quite honest because we spent so much time just having this great time learning and laughing and making movies. So that was kind of the start of my journey. And then David Vogel, we both mentioned him. We should we should talk about who he is, but he came into my classroom and saw some of the products my kids were making, and that's kind of what got the ball rolling for getting him thinking about Digicom here and, and kind of like coming up with this entire Digicom learning program that's really revolutionized our district. So David was president of Disney Studios, I believe. I don't know the exact, but he was president. He was a big wig at Disney Studios. He definitely knew a ton about movie making and Hollywood and all of that stuff. And he retired from Disney and moved out to Palm Springs and then kind of, I think, felt like, okay, I can't just sit here and, you know, watch TV all the time or, you know, play pickleball. So he actually came, from what I understand, he came into the school district and said, hey, I'm David Vogel. I would like to help with something. And our school district, like probably many school districts, was like, we don't know who you are, strange person. Um, (laughs) Maybe you should go look at the high school class that's doing some like journalism. So they sort of pawned him off and he went to Cathedral City High School and started working with the data class, which does journalism and filming. And kind of from there, it sprung into having this organization, Digicom Learning, that really does help support digital storytelling in the classroom. But it was his vision and his talent that he was willing, he was willing to not take no for an answer. And I think in this line of, of doing things, and you mentioned how you just kind of started like with a kid hitting the video button, and I start, started with like, hey kids, look what we have. What are we going to do with it? 
That's super important because digital storytelling isn't about a perfect template. Let's figure it all out and we're going to go from A to B to C and it's all going to be perfect. It really is about really getting messy first and letting kids explore and then going from there and kind of guiding them as how you want it to integrate it in your instruction. And I think you just have to take that leap of faith and be willing to not say take no for an answer and be willing that it's not necessarily always going to be pretty but it's so worthwhile. And so I'm so happy David didn't take no for an answer and came in and created Digicom Learning because I think we're both where we are in our journey, a huge portion because Digicom was there to help us. Absolutely. David's been really good to you about amplifying all of our voices as we you know, gain all of this great experience in the trenches with our kids and giving us opportunities to share that with colleagues. So I know we've both been involved for quite some time with the professional development arm of what Digicom Learning does. Um, I remember like starting to teach PD classes and it was like one room schoolhouse style with everybody kind of thrown in there, like all ability levels. And over the years, we've been able to transition that into a much larger program with multiple tiers of classes and and ones that actually piggyback off each other. So we um, it's nice, you know, we have the beginning class. And they're able to learn some basic skills and then move on to like classroom integration. And so it's definitely more of a sort of like package where you can really learn as much as you like, whether you want to geek out with equipment later on down the line or you just want to learn, okay, what are some cool things I can do in my classroom with this? So they've, um, their evolution has been fun to watch too. And it's been fun to be a part of the professional development side of it because I've really come to love helping teachers as well. And that's kind of the job role that you've taken on this year, right? Right. I didn't really mention it in the beginning. So I've taught 31 years in the classroom. And this my 32nd year, I'm an instructional coach now. And actually doing professional development got me thinking about, you know, it'd be kind of fun to be working with teachers all the time. So that is what I'm doing now. So I'm actually getting to push into classrooms a little bit and intro digital storytelling and let teachers see that it's okay if it's a little chaotic in the beginning. Eventually it will, you know, get a little tighter, but you have to be willing to like play with your paint set first a little till you like before you do like a Van Gogh piece. Basically. That's, so true. That's really awesome. I love how your involvement with Digicom over time has kind of like changed the trajectory of your entire career. Isn't that that's really funny? Cool. I, I never would have thought, I was always one of those teachers, oh, I can never leave the classroom. I love the kids, which I do. I love the kids so much. And all of a sudden last year I was like, yeah, I kind of think maybe I need a change after 31 years. Yeah, it doesn't take, <laughs> me, it doesn't take me long. You so, can only put up posters every September for so for many so years. For so long, yeah, exactly. <laughs> or two first day icebreakers, yeah, for so long. So yeah, it is, it has changed the traje- trajectory of my career and I'm, I'm so happy I get up every day and super happy and love the new job and love all the new stuff. And so I'm happy we get to do this too because this is something new and different and fun and I think we both like passion projects. We do. We like being creative and nerdy and a little bit off the wall. So this seems like a good fit. And we we own it. (laughs) (laughs) For both of us, digital storytelling is a strategy that has enjoyed a lot of longevity. Um, in education, the pendulum swings so often that it's actually... Yes, I've actually, been hit a few times uh, by yeah, it. Right? <laughs> like bludgeoned to death, more like. Yes, um, I still have the scars. <laughs> but with all of that uh, pendulum swinging, it's actually kind of remarkable that digital storytelling has stayed uh, such a pillar of our practice for so long. I, I really can't think of any other strategy that I've learned over the years that I have clung to quite like digital storytelling. 
Well, um, when you think, though, the bang for your buck with digital storytelling, you know, the collaboration, the creativity, the kids talking to each other, um, the, all these soft skills they need in the real world. So they may not go off and become like a cinematographer, but you can, you know, bet your bottom dollar if they're in a job where they're having to do presentations, they need to learn how to get up in front of people, how to work with people not like them. I've never seen in all my years teaching any kind of, of strategy that uses all those different things and the kids are 100% engaged. I mean, your kiddos engaged is like the best thing ever. Well, there's a whole different organic quality to that conversation that happens than if you give kids sentence frames and have them do that like 30-second pair talk, which right. I totally do in my English class. But we also do these open-ended type conversations that I think it's more authentic for kids to try to stretch their language skills that way than to have some sort of scripted conversation. Absolutely. And they we're speaking their language. They love, they understand the video stuff. They're on YouTube all the time and other platforms. So this is their language. And for us to be able to harness that with the curriculum and things we and standards we need to get across, I think is a brilliant marriage of both things, which is why I think it's worked for so long. I totally agree. So the human element really is the bottom line, though, right? Because storytelling matters because we all have stories to share. And I think giving our kids that platform is one of the most important things we can do. I mean, the demographics of our district are kind of wild. The, you would think there would be a high-quality video production program in a district that was super affluent and had all of these families that had this real cultural richness to them. And, and we actually have a struggling population. Right. We're, I mean, we're really, um, demographically, we're not really a rich dif district. I mean, our... Um, you know, free and reduced lunch or whatever the new terminology is for it is very, very high. So we, um, you know, we are, and I noticed for my kiddos, this not only did it give them a platform for their voice, but but teachers doing videos and sharing it on YouTube in our class, in our school environment, I wa we wanted them to see there were other things in the world for them. Like, they did not have to stay in the little town where they grew up. There were other opportunities, and video gives that sort of ability to do that. So, like, I went to China, and I did a whole, like, travel log for the kids, like, kid-friendly, on, you know, going to China and showed it on a map and, like, things that we had done. And so then the conversation walking around school with all the kids, you know, the, even kindergarten, you went to China! <laughs> like, they were like, like, oh, you're a person That's here, and you cute. actually did this? Yeah. Yeah, and anybody can do this. And I think that I found super empowering as well is having that like collaborative conversation school-wide of all the different things that we were teachers were doing and kids were doing, places they were going, activities that they were involved in, and it just sort of opened us all up into oh look, we're all human and we're all doing all this stuff out in the world and for our kiddos anything's possible you know you work hard and you have some goals and aspirations you can go and do anything that's such a great uplifting idea because I know a lot of our kids kind of stay static to the Coachella Valley like we're for listeners we're in the middle of the desert in Southern California and um, this can be an isolating place sometimes because we're connected to LA with a highway but it's not like we're close by any means right so. and I'm always surprised at students that like I mean we're an hour and a half away from the beach and there are students that have never been to the beach it's true it's not you know if it's not part of your family or you know financially you're not able to do stuff like that that there are some families and kids that never actually leave this area so they don't know that they 
that that opportunity is available for them. That as you know, they get older. Oh, you mean I don't have to live here the rest of yeah. my life? Or you know, I could go to college in another state, or I could go visit another place. And these, it's not, it's not people on TV doing that. It's actual people they know, and I think that empowers them a little bit, or at least gets them thinking. Oh, maybe the staying in school and doing well is like a good idea. So I guess that's really kind of our goal with this podcast then is to share with other people why digital storytelling matters so much and also give some suggestions from our hard-earned experiences and advice (laughs) (laughs) because make no mistake the first couple times you do digital storytelling like it's a hot mess oh it can be yes (laughs) and And you learn a lot of stuff like you know boots on the ground that like oh I shouldn't do that again for sure. There's been so many times I was like, woohoo, super glad an administrator is not right yes, here with me. Exactly. That's fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> so I think it's actually really kind of cool that this idea that maybe people could listen and pick up a couple things and be able to roll this out much better than we did they, when we yes, were first. Started. Yes, maybe yeah, look a little more seamless than our sort of like clunking along to get it done. So um, we decided it would be super fun to play a little game every episode called 10 in 60. For every episode, we are going to have some guests join us. And we have a lot of really talented people in our district, a lot of really amazing teachers who've done some incredible things with kids. And we want to give them a platform to be able to share about that. So we thought it would be a riot to have a segment where we ask a guest 10 questions in 60 seconds. So... I know that's a lot. Like Especially taking, after school, yeah. yes. For sure. Like, my brain is maybe 60% just fried. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And English is now, like, not a language I'm real, quite familiar with. We're going to go ahead and try to play. Maybe this will just be an empathy-building experience for uh, us as go. others try to do this in the future. <laughs> but um, maybe we'll just kind of go back and forth. Jessica, what kind of drink do you order at the bar after a storytelling project has gone wrong? Anything that's at least 80% vodka. <gasps> Excellent. I'm totally on board with that. (laughs) What do you say to the kid who can't log into Google Drive? Okay, in my head I say, oh my God, are you frigging kidding me? And then I walk over with my nice teacher face and let me show you. So Jessica, what is your favorite go-to prop? I am a really big fan of the rubber ducky, uh, mostly because I can't really think about it without picturing Bert and Ernie in that one episode of Sesame Street. (laughs) But (laughs) I found some really funny times to give kids like a duck prop is like in the middle of a film noir piece and... Just watch them try to handle that. Try to figure it out. (laughs) I love it. Okay, so what's your classroom mantra when it's crazy and it looks like a hot mess? Um, In my head, I'm saying breathe deeply, count to 10, and then I try to assess, like, what is going wrong and try to rein that in. So sometimes it may be not enough direction for me or equipment, or maybe it's not a good day for my kids and I need to revisit this another day. What's the craziest production request a student has ever made? Oh my gosh. I think that one time kids asked for blood and I had to kind of like let them down gently and be like, well, we don't exactly have access to the hospital blood bank, but I'm sure you could make some. So, But I have some ketchup. Yeah, no, by the end of the period, they were like, we're going to need ketchup, Hershey's, uh, chocolate syrup, and maple syrup, because we looked it up on YouTube. So (laughs) that's exactly how that Well, And I love that problem solving. That is another big thing with this is problem solving. Like, if you don't have real blood, how can you solve it? You can make it yourself. Preferably not from your neighbor. Yes, exactly. Yes, yes. Exactly. All right, so Coke or Pepsi and iMovie or WeVideo? Oh, Coke, diet, 
And I used to be total iMovie, and now I've kind of moved to WeVideo because of their awesome library. So I think I have to say WeVideo. What's the worst place you ever had a story idea pitched to you? Probably in the middle of the grocery store in, like, the feminine product side. <gasps> Seriously? I, I specifically remember running into a student and their parent, and the kid was like, oh, my God, I'm totally ready for Monday. I have my props and everything, but I was thinking we could have, like, a fight scene at the end, and I was just so mortified. I was just like, get me out of here. Don't look in my car. Yes. My answer is just yes to everything right now. Absolutely. You can have whatever you want. <laughs> they need to give teachers a privacy blanket at the grocery store that we could put over our cart when we're <laughs> rolling around because that stuff happens all the time. Like, please don't look at my 12-gallon bottle of vodka or my products or other things. How that- much wine I'm buying at one time. <laughs> yes. <laughs> then I'm going for the six-pack at Stater's and yeah. That's why I moved, seriously, that's why I moved like 30 miles away. So I could grocery shop in peace. (laughs) And yet still at the Home Depot, I ran into a kid two weeks ago and I'm like, what are you doing here? Yes, you are out of your zone. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so uh, let's talk about what is your most PC way to tell a kid that their story does not make any sense. Um, Sometimes I actually just say, your story does not make any sense. And then try to point out, because, you know, we do a lot of um, prepping with, you know, teaching beginning, middle, and end, how to write a good story. And sometimes it's just even starting with, like, okay, the beginning. Let's look at some problems there and, like, solve that. But I've actually had kids that still look at you and, like, they still don't understand. I've had them talk to other kids, and other kids seem to be really good at speaking their language of, like, why are you saying this? It's like, that blank look where they're like, am I speaking in Russian right <laughs> yeah, now? Exactly. Yes, <laughs> this exactly. might be the Cold War. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Go talk to your friends. Go talk to your friends, because apparently what I'm saying is not getting through. Oh, my goodness. What do you say most often during the storytelling process? Uh, probably yes, honestly. I have found that I'm a lot more successful with kids, and they're a lot more successful if I am willing to just say yes, like, at least 95% of the time. So, I mean, there's some crazy requests, but most of the times if kids can explain why they want to do something or add something or be somewhere or take somebody somewhere, like, I'll, I'll say yes if it has a good rationale. And I think that's super empowering to, to kids that, oh, wait, because they spend so much time of their life, especially, you know, early elementary, middle school, being told no. No, you oh can't do this. No, no you is can't everywhere in school. Right. And so here's this one thing they can do where yes is actually there more often, and it gives them power over their product, which they don't necessarily get a lot of in elementary school. So I think that's awesome. All right, last question. I think we're totally blowing the 60-second deadline. We will, we just will do so it know. better. We will do it better next we time. We will do better. Last question though. How do you deal with equipment failures or malfunctions when you are on location? So that's another thing where you say, "Oh my god, I can't believe, not out loud, but like how did I not like see this ahead of time?" So then the first time it happens to you, you get better at, "Oh, I need to have like a pack of you know, nine volt batteries with me and I need to make sure my iPads are charged or my cameras are charged. And so basically you fail very badly and you learn so that the next time you don't fail quite as badly. And then you start filming everything on a cell phone to rationalize the cost of the bus. Yes, Yes. exactly. No, (laughs) then no. Can I get another bus, please? Yes. $500 later. Later, Right. God. Oh, we've all been there. 
Well, thanks so much for joining us on our first episode of Digital Storytelling Saves the World, brought to you by Digicom Learning. On our next episode, we'll discuss how to start the year strong with digital storytelling, and we're going to have a special guest, Georgia. Did you know that? I'm excited. Are you the booker for this? I am booking it, actually. Like, awesome. I am a woman of many talents. She is. She is. <laughs> we're going to hear from Julie Barda, and she is a middle school teacher at a local charter school. So she's going to give us a heads up on how to start storytelling strong when you're just beginning the year with kiddos. Um, awesome. In the meantime, though, listeners could follow Digicom Learning on Facebook or Instagram and visit their website at digicomlearning.com. So check out some of that great content. Our show notes are going to be posted at the bottom of this podcast on SoundCloud, so you can see there for some direct links and resources. And now I think it's time to wrap up our episode with a little bit of storymatic magic. So I have to do Georgia. Do you want to explain how it works? So this is what we're going to do. Is I have three cards in front of me that um, one says beginning, one says middle, one says end. I've three card montied them. I don't know where what is. And Storymatic is this great box of story ideas. And you pull one card that's kind of mustard color, and it gives you a character. So our character is Farmer. And then you have this sort of brown rustish color card you pull that is like something that happens. And ours says, where did it go? So the only <laughs> parameters we have is a farmer and where did it go? So we're going to each pick a card. And um, our friend Vinny, who works with Digicom Learning and is helping film today and basically trying to keep us on track, which you realize now is an impossible situation. Hurting cats. Hurting cats. <laughs> but he's got such a great spirit, we're going to let him play Storymatic. So we're going to each pick a card. We're going to have a beginning, middle, and end. And then we're going to, in a minute, we're going to set the clock um, and... We are going to try to tell a story with a beginning, middle, and end in one minute. So I have beginning and Jessica's middle. middle. Vinny, it's up to you to bring it home. So um, I think if we're kind storytellers and we know we have a minute, my beginning is not going to be 48 seconds long. <laughs> I'm just saying. Why are you looking at me meaningfully when you say that, Georgia? <laughs> no, I, I take, 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 take what you will. All right, so our... Farmer, and where did it go? Okay, you got it? All right. All right, go. Bob is a farmer in Iowa, and he has a large cornfield that he has planted about six months ago. Bob really enjoyed strolling and taking long walks down the irrigation ditches in his cornfield, and one day when he was walking along, he came across a giant scarecrow, only the scarecrow had no head anymore. It used to have a pumpkin there, but then Bob just had to kind of ask himself, Where did it go? <laughs> As Bob continued down this irrigation ditch, finding the headless scarecrow, he wanted to know more about his crops. So he circled back and... That was the end of Bob as we know it. Dun, dun, dun! <laughs> Cliffhanger! <laughs> that was the worst possible ending for Bob, the poor farmer. The poor farmer! I do not want to end up in a cornfield. I'm going to be honest. <laughs>
this. My first thought was somebody on the farm, like some animals getting artificially inseminated. And then there's like, where's their watch? Where did it go? So the whole time I'm thinking, that's our story. And then you're all cornfield. Oh and I'm all God. like, oh, where See, do I go from here? We did have the pre-discussion, but for that reason, because it's way funnier. When it's like we don't know what's going on. But I love oh that someone gosh. lost their watch of a cow. Oh that's funny. That's wildly inappropriate. <laughs> <laughs> Unless you're a farmer in Iowa and with a cow farm and having to do whatever you do where you stick your hand up a cow, I guess. <laughs> Nicely done, people. Fun, time, fun times on the farm. Yeah, that's good. 